Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's, it's so good to be back uh, once again. The last time I was here, um, I felt a bit lonely, and uh, we only have a couple of people. And, uh, but I know that you are worshiping uh, with us uh, at home, online. And if you ask me uh, which one do I prefer, I prefer to have people here, you know, uh, worshiping together uh, physically. And so it is my privilege to be able to uh, speak to you uh, on this topic. In fact, I was asked to do an introductory uh, message on the series of uh, Lent. And um, so I was uh, told that I should uh, explain what Lent is all about and also um, why we celebrate Lent and how should we celebrate it. And I'm also given two tasks or two assignments uh, besides doing an introduction. I'm supposed to talk about uh, how to do a general fasting. So it's not just about fasting during Lent, but what is fasting is all about, if I understood uh, correctly. So just be, I'll be talking about introduction on Lent and what fasting is about. Okay, so fasting that is a period of time that we observe and uh, with fasting to remember the value of repentance. But fasting in general, it's more than that. So we're going to be talking about that later. And also, I've been assigned to also talk about uh, simplicity. And uh, so you ask me, you know, what is simplicity? It is really about simplicity of lifestyle. As a Christian, we live uh, in a simple life. So I'm going to explain what it is all about. So three things. So I hope that I will be able to cram everything in in uh, a short time. And so it is really a challenging uh, topic in the sense that I have to talk uh, all three in one message. So I hope I can do a good job today. Now, what is Lent? Now, traditionally, Lent is a period of fasting, as I mentioned, uh, moderation, and self-denial. And it is observed by many churches around the world, but not all. Uh, it begins with Ash Wednesday, which is this coming Wednesday. Uh, read the reason why it's called Ash Wednesday is because uh, spraying of ashes on your body together with wearing a, the sackcloth in the Old Testament is always associated with repentance. Uh, you will remember that or probably read it somewhere in an Old Testament. So Ash Wednesday uh, marks the beginning of the Lent Lenten season and also uh, symbolizes that we ought to begin our journey, you know, in, in the Lenten season uh, by repenting of our sins or remembering the value of repentance. And it ends uh, with the Easter Sunday, which is uh, for this year, 17th of April, I believe that you have uh, uh, some events or something that coming up on that day. And for other churches, uh, many churches actually, uh, normally we will hold a, uh, a Bible conference or a church camp or a church retreat over that Easter weekend from Friday uh, and then Saturday, uh, Sunday, and then over and then all the way till Monday. And so, but because of the coronavirus, many churches aren't able to do so. 
And so uh, during Lent, participants eat sparingly or give up a particular food or habit. Now, uh, I said Lenten season is associated with fasting, but normally when, when they do fasting or when we do fasting, it's not a full fast because it's a, it's a, it's a 40 over days period. And uh, unless uh, some supernatural intervention is happening, you won't be able to survive at the end of the Lenten season. So it's not food fast means that you don't like, you know, go without eating and drinking. And, but some did in the Bible, actually. It was so we call that a supernatural fast. And uh, so normally we eat sparingly or by giving up something. And uh, since my children go to a Christian school, uh, each year the school actually encourages the, the students to give up something. And during the Lenten season, and uh, it could be chocolates or donuts or sweets or anything, you know. And uh, so for the rest of us, it's also, a common, it's, it's also common for people to give up smoking or eating sweets for adults as well and uh, for all their favorite food. And so it's a six weeks of self-discipline. And again, the goal is to remind us of the value of repentance. And then again, I mentioned, I was reminding you once again, when we talk about fasting in general later on, uh, it, uh, it is not really has to do with the, fa the, uh, the Lenten season. So Lenten season as always observed with fasting. But fasting in general later I will be, will be talking about uh, really has little uh, to do with uh, the Lent. It's tied in with the Lent because it has to do with the fasting, but fasting in general is can be observed with other occasions and purposes, okay? So just to uh, remind, just to mention that this earlier uh, in the beginning of the message, so you won't get confused, uh, you know, about the two things that we'll be talking about today and together also with the simplicity of lifestyle, which is also kind of related to uh, fasting, okay? I will talk about later. So, um, but I will caution you once again that you that only if you are a Christian and, and know the significance of observing the Lenten season um, that you do it. Otherwise, don't. Um, and you see, because Lent begins began as a way for Christians to remind themselves of what of the value of repentance. And but if a person has uh, never repented or experienced the grace of God or forgiveness, uh, there's really no point of doing so. Um, and it would be just probably, you know, a time to lose some weight and, and nothing else. And um, so if you have some, and if you have some knowledge of, of the Old Testament, you would know that the Lenten traditions follow that of the Old Testament, as I said. And I said, repentance always, uh, you know, was signified with putting ashes on your body and wearing sackcloths. I think that's where it came from. And so that's why we have Ash Wednesday this Wednesday. So by giving us something during the Lenten season reminds us again, what? Of the value of what? Repentance as part of spiritual discipline. Now, Lent observance is a good thing. Um, but I will remind you that uh, I will leave it to each individual to decide according to their own conscience and conviction. Uh, if a church wishes to observe Lent, uh, he is free to do so. And it is a good thing for him to observe. 
if a Christian does not want to observe uh, the Lent, he's also free not to do so. Uh, Paul says in Romans 14, verse 5, I wish you have a Bible with you. If you can, you can turn, that, turn to that passage in Romans 14, verse 5. It, uh, quote, one person considers one day more sacred than another. One day could be a series of days, you know, and um, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their, full, in their own mind. So what that means is that if you're convinced of what you're doing, for example, observing Lent, and then, and then and so be it, observe the Lent. And uh, if you're not convinced of observing Lent, and uh, you're free not to do so. And so because the context of this passage in Romans 14 is all about not passing on judgment on another person uh, easily. And uh, so the principle here is if you observe Lent, fine, don't criticize those who don't. And if you don't observe it, fine, don't criticize uh, those who do. So whether or not a Christian, by the way, this is very important here, whether or not a Christian observed the land, uh, what is important to notice is that we ought to focus on repenting of sins and consecrating oneself to God. And so even if you do observe Lent for this period of time, it does not mean that the uh, repentance, lifestyle repentance is not important for the rest of the days in the whole year. So some people say, well, Lent is important, let us observe Lent. And after Lent, he is free to live whatever lifestyle he wishes to. In fact, it's his old lifestyle. Uh, just like, for example, on Sunday, you know, we come to church on Sunday, you know, everybody's like, we look holy and we behave like a holy per people. But how about the rest of the days from Monday to Saturday? Do you behave like secular people, the worldly people, doing worldly stuff? Or only, or only when you become holy and, uh, and when you come to church on Sunday? It's the same thing for observing Lent. If you are not ready to dedicate yourselves to live a lifestyle of repentance. In, by the way, repentance is constant. You know, it doesn't end until we see the Lord, meet the Lord face to face. Yes, repented of our sins to God, and our sins are forgiven once for all. We're saved once for all. But we sin still every day. That's why we need to repent of our sins every single day. So, so that lifestyle of repentance should be a normal daily living. So again, it shouldn't be limited just Lenten season. Okay? So that is what Lenten season is all about. It's to remind us of the value of repentance, and it's supposed to carry on and continue throughout your Christian walk with God. Now I have, and so as I said, I would do an introduction and talk about fasting, and also about simplicity. And so let us begin with what, uh, you know, uh, and I, I talk about the what already, what land is all about, why we do it. So let us talk about fasting in general, okay? So fasting in general, again, is probably a little or, or nothing to do with Lenten observance, all right? But fasting in general is a completely kind of a different uh, thing. It's related, but it's different. So what is fasting? 
and she would have even fast is fasting only for weirdos or hyper-spiritual people or people who live on the poles or in the caves or people who eat honey and wild locusts, you know, in the wilderness, you know. So should we fast? Let us turn to, well, if you have Bible with you, just turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 to 18, the passage we've just read. Now, so I want you to notice two key words from this passage here. The first one is when, and then the other one is hypocrites. Okay, so easy to remember. Okay, so let us read. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. And uh, this is all found in the first, first verse. And for they disfigure their faces, show that others they are fasting. Truly I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others you are fasting but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, notice the two keywords. What's the first keyword? When. The other one is hypocrites. Now, first of all, Jesus said, when you fast. He did not say, if you fast. So I believe Jesus is expecting his disciples to fast and not if you fast, if a choice to fast or not to fast. And so you went to fast. And uh, the times I do fast, I'm going to tell you why and how or when. And otherwise, I'll be a hypocrite. Okay, so I won't tell you. Okay, but I do. And uh, so that's number one. Second thing is, is that the word hypocrites. Now, the hypocrites comes from the word to describe a person who is an acting, who is as an actor or actresses. I mean... Uh, I mean, if you are an actor or, or want to pursue a career of an actor, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? doesn't mean that you're a hypocrite. But what does the actor do? What, does, what, does, what do actors and actresses do? They act. They play and act for what? For people to see. So they, we can say that they pretend to be someone who they're not, okay? For good reason, of course. And, uh, but, but not for Pharisees. The Pharisees in the days of Jesus, they fast so, and they put an act for people to see. So, oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, I'm suffering. Oh, I'm so spiritual. You see, I'm so spiritual. I'm fasting. So uh, that's a hypocrite in a sense. They put in an act for people to see and they get the reward, which is the praise of man. So the reward here, I believe, is the praise of man or praise of God in heaven. Okay, not necessarily a physical reward like an iPad or something in heaven, but it is like a praise of God. And so Jesus said, well, if you do that, if you, if you do fasting in order for people to see that you have received a reward from men, and you will not receive a reward from God. And so, so if you do fast, comb your hair, put some oil, and then, you know, and then brush, brush your teeth or whatever, you know, and, and do everything nicely and just tell people, oh, I'm okay, I'm nothing, you know, nothing's happening, you know. So why fast? Well, because every time you fast, you, uh, you know, you feel the hunger pain, you know, every time, you know, every 15 minutes or every 10 minutes, you do feel hungry. And the hunger is supposed to remind you to do something. Not the purpose of getting you know, some you know, weight, you know, weight lost, but to remind you to pray. Okay, it's to pray. So every time you feel hungry, oh, it's time to pray. I feel hungry, oh, it's time to pray. 
So that, that is the purpose of uh, the, the, the mode behind fasting. Okay? So first of all, if you do fast, well, not sorry, when you fast, not if you do fast, when you fast, and uh, you, 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 then that means Jesus is expecting us to fast. And, if you, and when you fast, do not fast as hypocrites for people, people to see. And so, now, the when you fast in the passage actually raises more questions, right? When you fast, what do you mean when you fast? You know, the, what are the occasions that we can fast or we should fast? And so, uh, one author listed actually 10 different uh, ten occasions to fast. And uh, don't worry, I'm not going to talk about all 10. You know, it's going to take like one or two hours. So, because, uh, you know, before I begin, I must say that fasting has to do, be done with a purpose, for the purpose of prayer. Okay? For the purpose of prayer. And, uh, but Lenten fast during the seasons is done with the purpose of prayer, yes, but to remind us of the value of repentance. But general fasting is, has to be done with the purpose of prayer. All right? Praying for what? And that is the categories I will be listing right now. So since there are 10 of them, I will probably just give you about three, okay? And I will mention the seven others uh, quickly. But I will also uh, list all 10 occasions in the discussion questions I have given out um, for your fellowship groups to discuss and if you are one of those fellowship groups. So number one, and uh, one, the number one purpose is for us to fast is that um, that we are to uh, fast to strengthen prayer, uh, to strengthen prayer. So, in the one famous French theologian by the name of Jean Calvin, or Sean Calvin, you know, I know whatever the French pronunciation is, uh, I quote. Uh, whatever, whenever men are to pray to God concerning any greater, great matter, it uh, would be expedient to appoint fasting alone with prayer. Now, if you do not know who John Calvin is, uh, and that's unfortunate, uh, do pick up a copy of his writings and do read about him. He is one of the greatest theologians of all time during the Reformation period. And uh, so... Now, in the Bible, there are people who uh, strengthen this prayer uh, through fasting. People like Ezra, for example, fasted in order to ask God for help. In Ezra chapter 8, verse 23, he says, So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Now, the duration of a fasting is not mentioned here, but uh, I suppose a few days, even up to a week or two, you know, so it's to strengthen this prayer because he's praying uh, to God concerning uh, the, a matter that is very, very important. And so, so he fasted and prayed. So, but I was remind you one, t one thing very important is that fasting is not a way in which we force God to answer our prayer or so-called twist God's arm to do something that we want him to do. And it is not for that purpose. The rather is the purpose is to remind us or the person who prays or fasting the gravity, the importance of the matter that he is pleading to God. So every time you fast, you are reminding yourself of the gravity of the importance of the matter 
when you're submitting your prayer item to God. So it's not to manipulate God as you would. We can never manipulate God. God is sovereign in, in control. And we cannot so like treat him as the genie in the bottle. You know, I've got three wishes. And then if I fast, if I torture myself, God will hear me. No, that's not how it works. God answers our prayer according to his holy will. So that's why we pray to him. We pray according to his will, not according to our will. And if you, if you pray outside of his will, he will not answer you. If you pray according to his will and within his will, he will answer you accordingly. All right? And um, that's number one. Number, reason number one we should fast is to strengthen our prayer. And second, to seek God's guidance. Now, this is something that is very relevant to all of us who doesn't need guidance from God, who doesn't want guidance from God, all of us, you know, pastors, elders, you know, everybody, okay? So, or uh, more clearly discern the will of God. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, there's one episode, and it's quite exciting, but it's probably, you know, uh, not uh, recommended for children, you know? Because, you know, the, the Benjamites, you know, did some evil stuff, you know, basically, you know, gang-raped, you know, women, you know, and she died. And so the, uh, and, and, and the 11 tribes are so angry, and then when they're all out to the Benjamites, to, to, to the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin, and wanted to really, wanted to, you know, exterminate them all. And, uh, of course, they, 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 you know, they didn't. So they went ahead, actually, you know, uh, to fight their brethren, and uh, uh, three times, actually. The first two times, they were soundly defeated by the Benjamites. And, uh, and they, uh, although they outnumbered the Benjamites 15 to 1. Okay, so either the Benjamites were good warriors or God is not happy of what they're doing, you know. So, and before they went for the third time, then they, what? They fasted the day until evening and prayed, shall we go once more to battle against the brothers? So, basically what they did, you know, before that is that they did not follow the right procedures. They did not ask God whether we should go, even go find our brethren, you know. So, the Lord finally said yes, and bear in mind the means how God answered his prayer has changed. Now, I'm going to explain that, what I mean. In the Old Testament, and if you read Hebrews chapter 1, God in, in the, olden, the olden days, what he revealed to his people through prophets and through visions and dreams, right? So, and uh, now, in the last days, he revealed his will to us through his son. That's Hebrews 1, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Okay, so reveal his will through his son. Uh, where is the revelation? Where is revelation even recorded? Is in the Bible. So in the Old Testament, because they did not have a complete canon of the Bible, yes, some Old Testament definitely they don't have the New Testament that's not revived yet. So they pray to God. Sometimes God speaks to them directly or indirectly uh, through prophets, and some people receive dreams and visions and things like that. But today, we have the complete revelation of God, which is the Bible. Now, if you do not believe that the Bible is complete and sufficient, you are in a big trouble because you will always be seeking an extra biblical revelation. That's where the problem, that's where the church 
run into problems. So stick with this book, okay? And so when we pray to God, right, and then we want him to guide us, to reveal his will to us, so we pray, 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 pray. But one thing that you must do is that to read your Bible because God is not going to reveal his will to you, all right, if you do not read his word. Okay, I must emphasize that. You must read his word. So you don't say, I pray that God will guide me and show me his will, by, and, then, and then you're careless about reading his word. You must do that. You must read your word every single day. So God will speak to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, John chapter 17 said, what, what Jesus said in John chapter 17 said, when I send another comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, he shall remind you whatever I have taught you. All right? If you want to obey and follow the teachings of Jesus, you must ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of his teaching. When is his teaching recorded for us? It's in the Bible. Okay? So, and that, that's what I want to emphasize and um, to you before I go, not before I continue. So, and some Christians actually um, assume that if everything goes according to plan or my plan, that is the confirmation of God's guidance in His will. And uh, I must say that, uh, well, not necessarily, not always. Yes, God, I believe God works through circumstances in our life. God opened doors, God closes the door. God does that sometimes, but not all the, all the time. Now, let's say if you are a Christian, and you know that you're not supposed to marry a non-believer, but you want to marry a non-Christian because you want to. Then you tell yourself, well, if everything goes, goes according to plan, if I, go to, if I get to go to my, my own wedding and then get registered, it must be God's plan. Yeah, yeah, hallelujah, you know, praise the Lord. Is that how it works? Well, unfortunately, a lot of people think like that. Uh, well, the clear will of God in the Bible is that a Christian should not marry a non-Christian. Some of you are probably thinking, oh, I never heard of that before. You know, I hope you're not one of those persons. Now, the Bible, if the Bible says no, and then you can, you'll say, well, if, if everything goes according to my plan, then it must be God's will. And then, uh, lo and behold, if you, get to, if you marry a non-Christian, everything may go well. And both sides of parents will say, yes, I agree that you're married. But the problem is that both of the parents are non-Christians. <laughs> so they don't care whether, who you married as long as the guy is able to provide for his daughter and then, you know, get married. So if you want to pray for God's confirmation of his will, read the Bible. Then you can know and understand his will. It is all about. And then sometimes God can use circumstances, open door and close doors, right? He does that sometimes. But you must always confirm from his holy word, which is infallible or, uh, you know, no mistakes and cannot make mistakes. So, what is the purpose of fasting? First, to strengthen prayer. Second, to seek God's guidance or more clearly discern the will of God. And third, to express grief. 
Now, probably you have heard about it in the Old Testament when King Saul died, the Israelites fasted for seven days and uh, I believe went without food and probably drink some water, you know, and uh, because no man can actually survive after three days of not drinking water, right? And uh, sometimes I forget to, to drink water. You know, I feel like dying already. And, 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 and so make sure you're drinking that water anyway. So, and David did the same too. He fasted when he heard about the death of Saul and Jonathan in 2 Samuel chapter 1. So fasting can also be means of expressing, uh, you know, not only that, you know, for grief or for, for uh, people who died, but you can also express the grief for uh, your own sins and other people's sins. So it's not just for the dead, but you can also mourn for your sin and other people's sin. And so, and there are many occasions, uh, you know, of that in the Bible, in the Psalms and, and, and things like that. So three occasions. Now I'm going to give you seven other occasions that you should fast. They are to seek deliverance or protection. Uh, David, Esther, and other people, the prophets, to express repentance in return to God, especially the prophets, both the major prophets and the minor prophets, to humble, to humble oneself before God and uh, David and kings, uh, whether the kings from the northern kingdom or the kings from the southern kingdoms, to express concern for the word of God, work of God. Paul, an early church, if you look at the book of Acts, chapter 2, they come together in one unison, in one accord, and they pray. And the next one is to minister the needs of other people, the apostles and the disciples. And another one, the last one, next one is to overcome temptation and to decide yourself, uh, to, to dedicate yourself to God. And lastly, to express love and worship to God. So there are 10 occasions that you should fast. And as I, as I said, I've listed down on the discussion question I've uh, given you. So, should we fast? Should we? Well, yes, because Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. And, and why fast? Because our sense of hunger reminds us to pray. And it is it's difficult, I know, you know, especially we're living in this world with, you know, the, of, of, of fast food and everything. We, we can't go without food for, 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 very, for very long. But, uh, but if you find... Uh, appropriate occasions such as these that I mentioned that you should do, you should fast and pray. And uh, so, and, and then there is a spiritual discipline of simplicity. And as I said, which is kind of relating to fasting. Why? Um, it is because if fasting uh, is about giving up food for the purpose of spiritual discipline, you know, and the simplicity is about giving up, storing up your treasures or wealth or riches on earth for the purpose of spiritual discipline. So both has to do, both have to do with giving up of something for the purpose of spiritual discipline. And fasting is, is about food and living the life of simplicity is about giving up not giving up your wealth, brother. It is giving up, storing up your treasures on earth. I'm going to explain what that means, okay? So 
And uh, before that, I'm going to explain what that, what, what that uh, does not mean first, okay? Because a lot of people seem to misunderstand these this teachings of Jesus. And so let me read to you the passage from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21. And Jesus said, do not store up yours for yourselves treasures on earth or riches or money on earth where moth and vermin destroyed and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as I said, I was going to explain what that does not mean. Okay? Firstly, Jesus is not saying that money is evil. Uh, if it is, give money to your elders, your pastors, or to churches, all of them. All right? So money itself is not evil. The Bible, what does the Bible, I, I often hear, hear people say, money is the root of all evil, you know? But it's not. The love of money is the root of all evil. And then uh, people who try to quote the Bible uh, out of context and said money is all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. If money, is, if money is really the root of all evil, why are we taking offerings on Sunday? Why are we, you know, giving money to the missionaries or the pastors? You know, so, so that is not what Jesus is saying. Secondly, Jesus is also not saying that saving or storing money in your bank is evil. Okay, I'm going to explain what that means, okay? Uh, and remember the wicked and lazy servant uh, in the Gospel of uh, Matthew, chapter 25. And, uh, you know, one servant with one talent and another one with five talents, the other one with ten talents. And what happens to the one with the one talent? He, he hid it in the earth. And then the, the, the master came back, rebuilt him, and he said, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I wouldn't have received it back with interest. Right, so it is okay, it is perfectly fine to store up your money, your treasures in the bank. Okay? Thirdly, Jesus is also not saying that owing a property like house is evil. Now in the Ten Commandments, we're commanded not to steal, not to steal, remember, and, and, you know, and also not to covet, 910. So it implies that we can own the property and we should not covet somebody else's property. In fact, properly, property rights is, is mentioned in the Old Testament and it has been protected and guarded in the law of Moses. So if you own a house, it's a good thing. And remember the sermon that I preached last, uh, last month? Okay. And I preached on the, uh, uh, what is it? stewards of money and stewards of time. And uh, you see, everything that you think that belongs to you actually belongs to God. God owns everything. And we are mere stewards of his money and his possession. And God has blessed you with everything that you think that you do own now. So uh, you can say, I own this, but actually I'm a steward. So if you own a house, well, open your house, uh, for meetings, if you're a Christian, open for meetings, fellowship groups, Bible studies, and receive guests from afar and provide hospitality. If you have a card, a use of card, 
for, to provide transportation, if you can, unless you are a family of five people, then it's maybe difficult, and you have to get a seven-seater or even a bus, you know? And so if you can, provide transportation. If you have money, money is not the rule of all evil. Love and hoarding all your money is the rule of all evil. If you have money, well, support the missionaries, support your pastors, and support, you know, whatever you think that is suffering financially. So, fourthly, Jesus is also not saying that we should despise material wealth or rich people. So he said, ah, you are rich, must be evil. You know, you are rich. You, are, you know, you shouldn't have so much money. And like Jesus said, don't store up your treasure on earth. Not, not, see how much money you have in bank account. You know, so <laughs> that's not what Jesus is saying. He said, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, God who richly provides us with everything for our own enjoyment. So I have known many people who are rich, who are Christians, who also are very generous in their giving. And also, you know, if you do not provide for your own family, the Bible says, Paul says, you are worse than an unbeliever or infidel. Okay, so these are the four reasons what this passage is not saying. So if none of what I said is true of this passage in Matthew 6, then what is it all about? So, and I pretty much rule out everything already. So what the Lord is actually primarily rebuking selfishly, selfless, selflessly, selfishly, okay, self, selfishly, okay, <laughs> storing up your treasure on earth or accumulating riches or wealth on earth. Now, the Lord says, do not store up your, for yourself treasures on earth. And remember what I said, money is not the root of all evil, it's the love of money. If you're hoarding all your money and riches, remembered uh, the, you know, the rich man, you know, and uh, who died and went up and, and, and eventually went to hell. And he, you know, he, you know, he basically, and it just says, you know, you have, he just said to himself, you know, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. You know, take life easy and eat, drink, and be merry. So he's storing up all his treasures and counting his money and then just storing up for him to see, you know, selfishly. Okay, yeah, it's got it right today. Okay, this time. So, so the word storing up has the connotation of stacking up and laying on horizontally as one stacks of coins or something. So the purpose is self-satisfaction. Oh, I have so much money, you know. Every day I just count my money. But perhaps today our money is digital. So maybe some of you are checking on your bank account. Wow, I get so much money today. So, but, you, you know, you don't want to do that. Jesus said you don't want to do that. But if God has blessed you with riches, wealth, there's nothing wrong with it. But you do not want to use the money for your selfish reasons all right? And so use it for the advancements of God's kingdom and support missionaries, as I said. And there are many missionaries in the fields who are suffering or are struggling with financially. So support them. Think about them and pray for them. And um, so some people stuck in cash. Some people even, you know, um, would like to buy lots of cars, lots of house, and some even stack gold bars in the house. 
And uh, in fact, uh, I'm not joking. A few years ago, I come across a person who said to me, hey, you should be thinking about investing on gold in case of financial meltdown when the market crash, when our paper money will render useless. I thought about it as, yeah, he, he, you know, it makes sense. Then I thought, you know, you see, why store, storing up gold on earth? You see, one day we'll be trading on the streets of gold, and the, the walls are made, made of gold. Everything will be made of gold. And, and, and gold on earth is probably one of the most valuable things. But in heaven, in the city of New Jerusalem, it will be used for pavement, for like gibrocks, <laughs> you know, uh, concretes all made of gold. Nobody will be sitting gold in heaven because everywhere is gold. Now you say, well, heaven, well, that sounds like too, too far from me. I'm only not even 30 years old. You know, there's plenty of time for me to enjoy my life. And that is true. But while in my message, I've talked about stewards of time and money, if you remember, that uh, if you can live up to the age of 75, which is the average age, probably a little bit more, and uh, an entire lifetime is about 900 months. 900 months, if you do the math, if I, unless I did the math wrongly, you know, 900 months. And then you subtract one-third of the lifetime, 900 months, that's 600 months. So if, an, if 600 months, while you're awake, you get to spend 600 months. And so if you're 25 years old, and like most of you, I see, you know, and uh, probably 25 or so, and not, maybe not this one here. <laughs> okay. And uh, neither do I. Okay. And so, and so you have only about, if I'm 25 years old, and you actually only left about, what, 400 months. I did the math yesterday, okay, last night. Okay. So, so I don't mean any res disrespect, because Chinese do not like to talk about death and passing away and things like that, but, you know, probably you're young and Chinese still, so you don't care. But... That's really not a lot about all the time, you know, 400 months. And even if you, you were, if you were born yesterday, you only got 600 months. That's not a lot of time. That's only a, a, a drop in the bucket or in the ocean of, of eternity. Think that your lifetime is like a drop, and eternity is the ocean, which literally is, if not more. Why storing up gold and riches? Cars, houses, possessions. You, you, literally, you're going to die like 400 months later or 600 months later. <coughs> a lot of people, older people, I do a high respect on older people. That's our Chinese tradition. You know, they, 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 they seem to say, well... I can remember, you know, when I was young, you know, I was playing this and that, and just like yesterday. Well, it really is not so, so far long ago, isn't it? If you, if you say 400 months, or 200 months ago, or 300 months ago, that's really not a long time ago. Yeah? So just like yesterday, yes, it literally yesterday. In fact, to God, it's yesterday, it was just last minute. Something for you to think, think okay? Now, back to the living in simplicity. If you are caught in living your life the opposite way that the, what the Bible tells you, then you're not the first one, and you're not the last one. The Bible has many stories of those who greatly hurt by having a wrong relationship with money or wealth. Now, if, if there's one thing about this passage just read in Matthew, and 20, uh, Matthew, it is about 
Jesus is teaching us about our relationship, our, our, our rightful relationship with money and our possessions. And there are a lot of people in the Bible who messed up. People who you think that you may be surprised to. I can think of Achan in the Old Testament who took the garment from the conquered land and which God told them to destroy it. And they ended up dead and with his family, you know, all burned to death. I can think of Solomon, the wisest person in the world. The other day, my, my children asked me, Well, Dad, if Solomon is so wise, he's the wisest person in the world, why did he make so many mistakes? Why did he marry so, so many wives? You know, it's like, Ooh, okay. And it's like, that shows us that even the wisest person in his own conceit can make mistakes. I can think of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, both drop dead because of their lying about wealth, about lying about the given, giving. They said, what is all I have? I give it to the Lord. But they actually give some part for themselves and they drop dead one after another. Yeah. So sad, you know. So thank God that doesn't happen in our, in, in our current day. It may happen, I don't know. I can also think of Demas who fell away because she loved this present world, possibly referring to in part to its wealth. So a lot of lessons we can learn from the, from the Bible. So what can we do to start living in simplicity? So I'm going to give you um, four things and I will end today. Now, firstly, to practice simplicity, we must learn contentment with what we have. Now, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and 8, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, verse 7 rather, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can have nothing out of it. You know, I remember Job, when God took everything away from him, blesses the Lord, the Lord bless, and Lord, the Lord taketh it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What are you thinking? Well, when I... When I came to this world, you know, as a baby, I, you know, I had nothing. And now God take everything away from me, yeah, I have nothing. Well, you know, it's, I don't lose anything because I don't gain anything, and it's okay with me. So if we don't learn contentment, we will constantly be dissatisfied and running after more. I'm going to get into a sensitive area here, you know, People sometimes are dissatisfied with the phone they have, must have the latest phone, the latest gadget. Don't stone me here, okay? I know we are like the, what, what generation, I don't know, but we all like the latest gadget, which is not a sin in itself. But, you know, try to think sensibly, do I really need that? You know, do I need to spend $2,000 to get a the brand new phone that's got one more function? than the phone that I'm using right now. And then the one more function I don't even use. Okay, so, and a, and a new computer, new TV, and a new car. Now ask yourself if what you have right now serves the same purpose, why do I need another one? Is it because I need to impress someone or some people? If that's the case, you are not living a life of simplicity, but complexity, <laughs> okay? Uh, so pray about that, okay? So to practice simplicity, number one, we must learn contentment with what we have. Number two, to practice simplicity, we must learn to distinguish between need and one. This is somewhat related to number one. Uh, this refers to, and, and God's promise to provide our needs 
So one thing to teach our children is that I will provide whatever you need, but not whatever you want, because our wants are endless. If God says, I'll give you whatever you want, then our list will be, you know, it will probably take our iPad, you know, because all the paper in the world is not enough for you to write down your wants. But God will provide us with our needs. And so as parents, we provide their need, not their wants. And again, ask yourself, do I really need it? Is it necessary? Okay, that's number two. Number three, to practice simplicity, we must shun anything that produces an addiction in us. An addiction becomes our idol and distracts us from what's best, which is God. Again, we must ask ourselves, where's my treasure? And that is one of the questions that I've given you in the discussion question. You can discuss that. Where is my treasure? Anything can be addiction, even things which seemingly innocent. So I'm not talking about all the obvious things that are smoking and the drinking and alcohol and things like that. I'm talking about, you know, surfing on the internet and watching videos on YouTube and uh, TikToks and social medias. Uh, all these things are good. Okay, I use YouTube. I use social media. I serve the net, obviously. I'm not saying that these are bad or sinful in themselves, but do not, do not let them become an addiction to you. Right. Technology is good only when they are your servant. Right? But when it's that you're around, when you become a servant of technology, and that's not so good. Okay? So let technology serve you. So you, you, you keep your liberty and your freedom. When I want to see it, when I want to use it, I use it. If I don't want to, I don't. If I, I'm with my family, or with my wife, or with my children, try not to use your devices. Because, you know, you see, social media is supposed to bring to people together, closer. Am I correct? But apparently, sometimes it is not so. And sometimes in, in the same family, you know, everybody's sitting down, let's have dinner. Uh, okay, let's have dinner. Let's have dinner. Uh, let's, okay, let's have dinner. Everybody's scrolling their phone and checking messages, watching YouTube. And then some, some of the fathers say, hey, which have dinner? Uh, I can't hear you. I'm listening to something. <laughs> so, so some of you may be guilty of that. I know, but uh, I must say, spend time with your loved ones because they love you. And I, I'm sure you love them too. And again, if your lifetime only is only about 600 months, then God bless you with people who are, become your family. Spend some time with you. And um, I can watch my children grow, you know, every day, every week. You know, my, my two-year-old, my, my baby is now, is now about eight years old, eight years ago. Time flies. And my daughter, whom I still remember, I carry her into my house the first day is now is only it's almost 17 years old i can vividly remember that so if you if god's bless you with families spend time with them with your parents and uh, sooner or later if you know you're going to get married and move out your house you know and don't get a lot of time with your parents spend time with them okay they love you and um, you love them back okay and um, so, number four, to practice simplicity, we must stay out of unnecessarily dead. You know, it's unnecessarily dead. When I say unnecessary, it means sometimes dead is necessary because we all have a mortgage to pay off. 
right, including myself, okay? I, 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 I can't come up with a half a million dollars or $300,000, you know, I bought my house, very cheap, about, uh, how many years is that? Okay, it's about six, seven, eight. Nine years ago, uh, it only cost about $315,000. Can you imagine that? In value, back in value, but my house is probably way more than that. Anyway, so I have still have to borrow money, although it's just so little money, so I still have to borrow money, and so as most of you. So I said, say, unnecessary debt. That means if you have an option, if you can afford, if you can um, option not to borrow money, then don't. And so that comes to the topic of credit cards. Now, if you're maxing out your credit cards and owing the credit card company like $20,000, $50,000, and then that's probably not good because that diminishes your ability to bless other people. Now, if you owe a credit card company of $50,000, $100,000, you probably won't be able to uh, give to your church. Am I correct? Sometimes you oh, oh, already own a credit card company. I have to already pay like $200 a week of interest. I don't know how much, but 20%, right? So how can I give to church? It probably won't be able to bless your pastors or missionaries, provide hospitality ministry, and go on a mission trip, or even go on a trip with your friends or your, your, your families. So try to cut down unnecessary debt. And uh, so live a life of simplicity. So if you can keep spending, if you keep spending on things that you want, which is unnecessary, you will eventually cease to, cease to have the ability to spend on the things that you need for your family, for your loved ones, for pastors, for other people. Okay, so in conclusion, whether it be fasting or living a life of simplicity, they should all be done with humility and not out of pride. So this is very important. And if you don't remember anything I said, remember this, which may... If, if we do it out of pride, it may lead to two things. Number one is legalism. Number two is judgmentalism. Is a, what is all all about? You know, I'm going to explain what it is. Legalism is an attempt to gain favor with God or impress our fellow men by doing certain things, like fastings and observe certain things, rituals and things, certain things. Now, you don't gain favor of God by doing something. That's legalism. We are saved by grace through faith. That's how we gain our standing before God. You don't, you know, do something in exchange for the favor of God. God will be more happy if I fast. All right? But if it's not done with humility, out of humility, it is really useless. And you end up with become legalism. Okay? We practice simplicity because we want to glorify God and join Him forever. And that's the, the number one question from the Westminster Confession of Faith or the Catechism was the chief and a man to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. All right? So we, well, why do we practice you know, fasting and all these things? Just to glorify God. And for the benefits of men, I was saying, that includes the, glor the glorification of God. So that's legalism. Don't do it out of pride. Don't want to impress other people. Another that's not related is judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is an attempt to judge fellow believers' maturity based on a set of spiritual practices. 
So if you do fast, don't say, I do fast, why don't you fast? I say, I'm more spiritual, you're not. And you say, I observe, I observe, Lenten, I observe Lent you know, as a practice every single year. Why don't you do so? Or you must be inferior, I'm more inferior. And don't do that. And uh, because no one can judge another person's motive. This is why, and, and motive and heart's desire. God is the one who judges man's motive and desires. This is why Jesus said, judge not. He is not saying don't ever judge because Jesus himself judged the Pharisees. You hypocrites, he judged. We need to tell what's right and wrong. We need to tell sins from you know, what's good, you know, sin or whatever that is what's not sin, we need to judge. But don't judge other people's motives and heart's desire because that's not your business. That's God's business. You cannot tell and say, I'm a heart doctor and now you do this because of whatever, you don't love God and you don't love God I'm, and I'm more spiritual, you're not. And then we become, become a Pharisees. So if you observe them, whether it be fasting or simplicity of lifestyle, fine, but don't criticize those who don't. Uh, if you don't observe them, fine, but don't criticize those who do and don't call them legalists. So God's the judge of hearts. Again, we don't judge lest you be judged with the same measure. Okay? That's what the Pharisees don't do. They judge other people. They don't judge themselves with the same measure. Again, when we do so, we become Pharisees, we become hypocrites. Okay, so that's all about today's message. I think it's a long message. Probably I ran over time. And, uh, and I did an introduction. And, and, and I did the fasting in general. And I also did simplicity of lifestyle. So God willing, I will see you next week. I'm still waiting for the topic for next week. So please do pray. And uh, if you want to practice fasting, you may do so. And uh, if you fast, do fast with prayers and, for, and to remember the value of repentance. Again, we have to repent uh, again and again every single day. Not ask God to save us once more, but to repent of our sins in general that we commit every single day against God and against our fellow man. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word uh, this morning, which reminds us of the importance of uh, keeping the Lenten season, which uh, will help us to remember the value of repentance. Although we also thank you for reminding us of the value of fasting in general, which they have, they have various purposes. We pray that you will help us to uh, fast uh, when the occasion is right. We also pray that you help us to live a life of simplicity, that your name may be glorified and magnified so that we may also minister to other people and to keep us being uh, tempted to store up our treasures on earth and not in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.